Well, happy 4th of July weekend, Purpose Church. It's so good to be together. I am so glad uh, that you're joining us in our study of God's Word today. Today we're continuing our 2023 series in which we're studying the 66 books of the Bible in 52 weeks. That means that some weeks we have to do more than one book. So today we're actually covering three books. Now the reason I chose for these three books to be done on one Sunday was the, the reason we chose these three is because I've already done a sermon on Obadiah, one of the three, and we've done a whole series on the book of Jonah, which is one of the three. So that's why I clumped these three together. The title of our series is Jesus on Every Page, and we have found Jesus in every book of the Bible that we've studied so far, from Genesis to now uh, the book of Micah. Uh, the section of the Bible that we're in today is the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Minor because they're shorter in length, not less in importance. So we are calling this series within a series, we're calling it the minors. Now the title for today's study is threefold. Obadiah, Jesus our righteous judge. Jonah, Jesus our missionary God. And Micah, Jesus our compassionate king. So we're going to cover a lot of material today, and we're going to do it in three parts. First, we're going to look at the background for each of these books. Then we're going to find Jesus in each of these three books. And finally, because uh, Tuesday is the 4th of July, I want to finish with some examples from the Minor Prophets of how the Bible has influenced our nation. So first of all, the backgrounds for these three books. We'll start with Obadiah, the background for uh, o Obadiah. Um, uh, 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 content, uh, a sermon of judgment against Edom for taking advantage of the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem in 588 to 586 B.C. Uh, the prophet is Obadiah, who was a prophet from Judah, the southern kingdom. Then the date of prophetic activity is just after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., the emphasis is God's judgment on Edom for her sins against God's people. The defeat of those who think themselves unconquerable, Israel's deliverance and restoration on the day of the Lord. Then the background for the book of Jonah. First of all, content. Through a very reluctant prophet, God shows compassion for one of Israel's hated enemies. Uh, the prophet is Jonah son of Amittai, who prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II, and you can read about that in 2 Kings uh, chapter 14, verse 25, around the year 785 B.C. And then the emphasis, uh, God is creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all. God's compassionate concern for the Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, uh, represented by Nineveh, Israel's reluctance, represented by Jonah, to acknowledge God's compassion for all the nations, not just for the nation of Israel. And then, thirdly, the background for Micah. Uh, the content, alternating sermons of judgment on Israel in the north and Judah in the south for their idolatry and injustices and a future hope because of God's mercies. The prophet is Micah a Judean prophet from the south, from Moresheth, a town about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. The date of prophetic activity 
um, some length of time between the accession to the throne of Jotham in 740 BC and the death of Hezekiah in 686 BC. The emphasis, the threat of divine judgment for breaking covenant with God. Uh, that is turning their backs on God and worshiping idols and other false gods. God is a God of justice and mercy who pleads the cause of the poor and requires his people to do the same. God says we need to be seeking um, the, the cause of the poor, the needs of the poor, justice for the poor, and he requires us that follow him to do the same. After judgment, God will restore Jerusalem through the promised Messiah. God is God of all of the nations. All right, now let's look for Jesus in each of these three books. First of all, Jesus, our righteous judge in the book of Obadiah. Now, Obadiah, uh, his name means servant of God or worshiper of God. We are both to serve God and to worship God. And Jesus puts these two together in Matthew 4, verse 10. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we are to worship God and we are to serve God. Now, Obadiah is a book of judgment on the Edomites because they helped the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem. And what made this even worse is that the Edomites were relatives. They were related to the Israelites. Uh, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau, who was the brother of Jacob. So Jacob, that's what Israel came from. Jacob's other name was Israel. Uh, through Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob came the nation of Israel. Uh, Esau was Jacob's brother, and so this is family. This is extended family. But instead of uh, protecting and helping the nation of Israel and Jerusalem and, and Judah when they were destroyed by the Babylonians, they rejoiced that this was happening. They helped the Babylonians to make it happen. And they took advantage of Judah uh, and Jerusalem when it happened. And so hence we have this uh, judgment uh, proclaimed by Obadiah on the nation of Edom. Uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Uh, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go up against her in, in battle. Verse, uh, verse two, see I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground. Uh, they were proud, and they thought that they could never be defeated because of how defensible their position was in the rocky strongholds of Petra. The capital of Edom was Petra. And uh, here are the remains of ancient, Ed uh, of ancient uh, Petra uh, here, here today. Um, then this is one view, then coming in uh, from another view. Uh, these are the remains of what you would see in ancient Petra today. And then you may recognize it from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Part of that movie was set in Petra. And then we come to verse four. Though you soar like the eagle 
and make your nest among the stars. From there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So they were prideful. They thought nobody can conquer us, and yet that's exactly what happened to them later on. Even though they thought their position was impregnable, there was no way. They were in a fortress among among the rocks. They eventually fell in fulfillment of the prophecy of Obadiah because of their pride and because of their sin against God's people, uh, Judah, and the fall of Jerusalem. So here we see Jesus as our righteous judge in the book of uh, Obadiah is, is a book of judgment to show that God does judge those who are proud and resist his ways and don't humble themselves before him. All right, Jesus in the second book that we're looking at today, Jesus, our missionary God in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, uh, there are a couple of reasons why Jonah would not want to do this. God commanded him, go to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, and preach to her so that she'll repent to the people that they'll repent. A couple of reasons why Jonah would not have wanted to do this. Number one, he would be afraid because Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians and they were a horrible people. Even by the standards of antiquity, the Assyrians were kind of in a league of their own. Uh, They made the Nazis of of our time period of the last century, uh, made the Nazis look like children. They even, some of the civilizations back then were so harsh and so cruel, but the Assyrians were just in in a league of their own. They were known for terrorizing the people that they were trying to conquer and, and that they had conquered. They would use psychological warfare to terrorize those that they were attempting to conquer. And then once they were conquered, their reputation would, would go before them as to how horribly they treated their captives. Uh, they would torture the people, mutilate their bodies, feed them to the dogs. Uh, they were known to put heads, arms, hands, and lips down the walls of the conquered city and put skulls and noses on top of the stakes. And so uh, there was a part of Jonah that would have been afraid to go to them. If they don't receive his message, well, that could happen to him. And then a second reason why he'd be hesitant is he hated them. Uh, They were arch enemies of the nation of Israel. He hated them. And he didn't want them to repent and be spared God's judgment. He was afraid that God would be merciful on them. And as you read the end of Jonah, you'll see that's exactly what was going on. He wasn't happy. When finally he does go there and they do repent, he's not happy about it. And so he didn't want to go there because he thought that would happen. And then when it happened, he wasn't happy about it. I mean, one of the greatest preachers of all time preached that 120,000 people turned to God, and yet he was not happy about it. He wanted God's judgment to fall on the Ninevites and on the Assyrians. Uh, And 60 years later, Assyria did come and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and took them into captivity. So in, in verse three, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, He went down to Joppa where he found a ship 
bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now in this map from Jonah's time, you can see that uh, here he is in Israel and he's supposed to go to Nineveh. So here he is in Israel, he's supposed to go to Nineveh. Instead he goes down and, uh, to Joppa and catches a boat to Spain, to Tarshish. He goes in exactly the opposite direction. He, he couldn't get far enough away uh, from God because he didn't want them to repent. A uh, modern day map shows it this way. Uh, here is um, Jonah in the nation of Israel. Here's Jerusalem, here's Israel. And so he was supposed to go to Assyria, would be Iraq today. So he's here, he's supposed to go here, but instead he goes to Spain, he goes here. So here he is, supposed to go to Iraq, instead he goes to Spain in the exact opposite direction. Jonah didn't want to save his enemies. Now compare that to our missionary God, Jesus Christ. Jonah, who didn't want his enemies to be saved, compare that to our Jesus. Romans 5, verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, the Bible says that we were, we were in our sins, uh, we were considered enemies to God. We were God's enemies, just like the Ninevites, just like the Assyrians were Jonah's and Israel's enemies. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Even though we were enemies, Jesus died for his enemies. He died on the cross for his enemies. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And Jonah also shows that you can't run away from God. There's nowhere you can hide, so we might as well not even try. And you can't disobey his will without there being consequences. So we continue now to read the story, uh, picking up with verse 4, and we'll go through verse 17. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. Then as you continue the story, the fish vomited Jonah up on dry land, and this time he obeyed. And he went to Nineveh, and 120,000 people repented and turned to God. And this is yet another picture of Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 40, Jesus said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's talking about his resurrection. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Uh, Jesus, our missionary God, one greater than Jonah. And then thirdly, Jesus, our compassionate king in the book of Micah. Micah tells us 700 years in advance where Jesus would be born. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Jesus is from eternity past and will be in eternity future. Then Micah tells us what kind of a ruler, what kind of a compassionate king that Jesus will be. Verse four, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Uh, Micah chapter seven, verse 18. Who is a God like you? As a matter of fact, Micah, that's what his name means in, in Hebrew. His name means, who is a God like you? And so he says, who's a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the rem rem remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will have a compassion. You'll be a compassionate king. You'll tread our sins underfoot, hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now, uh, for the remainder of our time, uh, since this is the 4th of July weekend, I want to just spend the remainder of our time uh, looking at some examples of how the Bible has influenced our nation. 
Now, there are thousands upon thousands of examples of how God's Word has influenced our nation, but I've just picked seven of them as an example, and I picked them from the minor prophets, uh, the minor prophets who influenced our nation. And I'm just going to give you an example of seven, but there are so many more where these came from. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Almost all of the first universities in American history had Christian purposes in their founding charters. Let me give you a few examples. Here's the founding charter from Yale University. Every student shall consider the main end of his study to be to know God in Jesus Christ and to lead a godly, sober life. Founding charter of Yale University. Columbia University, another Ivy League school, to inculcate upon students' tender minds the great principles of Christianity and morality. You know, I got, I got um, recruited to run track uh, for Columbia, uh, but I chose Wheaton College instead, and I'm guessing uh, that Wheaton was more of a Christian school, despite what we find here in the Charter of Columbia. But this is my favorite example. Oh my goodness. Princeton, uh, in the founding charter, cursed is all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. Cursed is all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. We have several Princeton grads in our church, and I'll just have to ask them if that was their experience. Oh my, oh my, how far have we come from those days? How far have we come? Then Joel 2, verse 28, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, in maybe one of the greatest, most famous speeches in all of human history, I have a dream, he said, that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And that uh, quote by Dr. King uh, leads us to a, a more sobering warning uh, from the book of Obadiah. Obadiah verse, chapter one, verse 15, is a warning to the nation of Israel. It was a warning to the nation of Edom. Uh, it is a warning uh, to us today as well. Uh, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. This is, this is a warning for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Benjamin Rush, who was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, he warned our nation at the beginning of its existence. Um, he, he gave a warning to us at, at the very beginning. 
He said, remember that national crimes require national punishments. And without declaring what punishment awaits this evil, slavery, you may venture to assure them, slaveholders, that it cannot pass with impunity, that is, exemption from punishment, unless God shall cease to be just or merciful. He and others warned our nation at the beginning about this uh, great evil of slavery that was in our midst. And uh, President Abraham Lincoln, later on, believed that the Civil War was God's judgment on America for the sin of slavery. He He completely believed that. You can see it in his speeches. In his second inaugural address, uh, four years into the Civil War, uh, this is what he said. Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. 600,000 people died in the Civil War. It, It utterly devastated a large portion, wiped out a large portion Uh, of our nation, uh, particularly across the South, but in parts of the North as well. It just destroyed our nation economically and in in so many other ways. 600,000 people lost their lives. And he said, fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen, that is by uh, the slaves, by the slaves, 250 years of unrequited, unrewarded toil shall be sunk. And until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. And until, as was said 3,000 years ago, in God's word, in the scriptures and Psalms, So still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Uh, He was quoting Psalm 19, verse 9. Abraham Lincoln, in his second inaugural address, four years into the Civil War. But the same thing is true for us today. And lest we look with judgment and condemnation on those in the past, Let's, let's look at ourselves in the mirror on this as well and pray for our nation today as Abraham Lincoln prayed for it um, years ago. Same thing is true for us today. Brad uh, Cummings, he wrote this. He said, citizens today must once again become mindful of the divine principle of national accountability. We should look at national policies and ask, in light of the principle of national accountability, what will be the result of this proposed policy? Now, certainly, there are many areas where God has not taken a position. And so consequently, if that policy is enacted, there will be neither rewards nor punishments. But there are many policies that the Bible makes clear are of direct concern to God. For example, he gives, the shedding of innocent blood by taking the lives of the unborn, and, and so on, and, and et cetera. Uh, Ruth Graham, the wife of the great evangelist Billy Graham, once said, if God doesn't soon bring judgment upon America, 
he'll have to go back and apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Micah chapter 6, verse 8, is in another um, influential verse in the history of our country. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Three things, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. John Winthrop, who is the founder and governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, he wrote in 1630, to provide for our posterity, that is for our prosperity, for, our, for the people to come, for God's blessing on us, is to follow the counsel of Micah, the minor prophet Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 3, we'll study that in a couple of weeks. His way is in the, we'll study it next week, Nahum, then Habakkuk. So next week, I'll, I'll teach on Nahum, and the week after that on Habakkuk. God's way, his way, is in the whirlwind and the storm. Abigail Adams, who was the wife of a president, uh, John Adams, and the mother of another president, John Quincy Adams, uh, she wrote this in the midst of the American Revolution and the upheaval of those times. And unto him who mounts the whirlwind and directs the storm, quoting from Nahum, I will cheerfully leave the ordering of my lot and whether adverse or prosperous days should be my future portion. I will trust in his right hand to lead me safely through. And then uh, Zechariah 4, verse 10. Who dares despise the day of small things? I love this quote by Robert F. Kennedy that he wrote in 1966. Few will have the greatness to bend history itself, but each of us can work to change a small portion of the events and in the total of all those acts will be written the history of this generation. It is from numberless diverse acts of courage and belief that human history is shaped. Each time a man stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope and those ripples build a current that can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. Don't despise the day of small things. Every act of service you do to God, every act of worship, every injustice you confront, every person you love, every person you encourage, God is using for his purposes uh, to change the course of human history. And then finally, Zechariah 10, verse 12. I will strengthen them in the Lord. President Calvin Coolidge writes, the strength of our country is the strength of its religious convictions. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Let's pray together for our country as we close our time. Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus in Obadiah, our righteous judge, and Jesus in Jonah, our missionary God, and 
And Jesus and Micah, our compassionate king. Lord, we thank you for these uh, verses that, and, and, and portions of God's word that have had such an influence uh, down through the years on our nation. We ask your forgiveness for our personal sins and for our national sins. And, and Lord, we pray that you will help us to repent and to hold off any future judgment. Lord, I pray that our hearts will come back to God's word. Uh, it, it, it threatens everything we hold dear to see our uh, beloved nation who we love so much and we're so grateful, Lord, to live here. But it, but it, but it scares us to see the trajectory of our nation going away from God's word rather than towards it. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will use us, as, as, as Robert F. Kennedy said, um, in, in small ways, not despising the day of small things. Help us to do what we can individually. Help Purpose Church to do what we can as a church to turn our nation back to God once again. Oh Lord, would your word once more be a fire that would consume our nation? Lord, would your, would your word um, once again be something that we tremble at, that we humble ourselves before, that we are fearful of Almighty God and begin to obey you and live for you so that you can bless us in the years ahead. We pray together on this 4th of July weekend. We pray for our nation. We thank you for our nation, but we pray for it as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.